Hey, welcome back to Horford Road, everybody. Welcome back to Four for the Road, everybody. This is your host, No Shame. We got Drifter and my brother, Pac-Man, from Chosen Few in the house. How are you guys doing? Doing really good. Doing good. Good to hear. Good to hear. So uh, we'll just uh, get right to it. Uh, my brother, Pac-Man, here, he went on a recent Europe trip, which uh, we want to get to talking about. But before we get there, uh, why don't you just give us a little background about yourself, how uh, how you got started in the motorcycle community and, and how you ended up in the club world. Well, my story is a little bit, uh, little interesting. You know, I came out of the Navy, uh, hadn't ever sat on a bike, much less rode one. Um, even though I grew up in the LA Long Beach area, never even really noticed motorcycle clubs or anything like that. So I got my first bike in 2011. It was a sport bike. Uh, and I joined, uh, uh, I found, you know, guys that like to ride and turned over the club. And I rode with them uh, for about three years or so. And they were a support club for Chosen Few. So after, you know, being exposed to the club and, you know, some of the guys and being at the clubhouse and seeing how things go, you know, naturally coming from the military, especially, you know, I wanted to experience that brotherhood and that level of brotherhood. And so uh, I made the decision to uh, prospect for Chosen Few in 2015. So... It was a long road. Um, sometimes I feel like I've been there for 20 years. Sometimes I feel like I've been there for two years. Um, I'm always trying to learn different things. And uh, obviously, you know, we're meeting all new people in different areas. So, um, you know, just keep growing and keep trying to understand his lifestyle as much as I can. So I got a question for you, man. Yes, so it sir. sounds like, don't, don't do that. <laughs> so it sounds like, uh, you know, you joined your club because of the men that you met and, and how you were drawn to what they were doing right how much of a of a surprise and a, and a kind of a blessing was it whenever you realized that you know when you started hanging around the history of that club that so when i was a citizen support club um obviously i did my research on chosen few before i even you know went to my first meeting and learning the history you know what was available on you know publicly and uh and even talking to some of the older guys that have been in for a long time, um, the history of the club is really what drew me to it. Um, my time spent in, in the Navy, you know, it was, I had some of the, my best friends and still to this day, they were from like the deep South, you know, white guys. And I came in not really looking that they were going to be kind of cool. And um, oh, those Southern white guys, man, you got to watch out. <laughs> I have my uh my reservations, but you know these guys, it really took the uh the uh the stigma or the stereotype away, and um that exposed me to, you know, being able to have brothers of a different race, um because growing up it wasn't like that in Long Beach in the '90s, so um to be able to come into a club with the kind of history this is, with being a multiracial, being the first multiracial, you know, outlaw club in the world, you know that is a lot to live up to, but it's something that definitely drew me to it. Um, I'm not sure that I would have been cut out for any other type of uh, club if that didn't allow multiple races. Again, nothing against those um, that kind of do their own thing, but uh, for me, 
um, this is the right direction. Yeah, you got to stay true to yourself, man. So you had um, like a racing background. But did that start um, while you were in the club scene or was that prior to the club? That started, um, like I said, I got my first bike in 2011. It was a, it was a 2009 R6. Um, never had ridden before. I ended up totaling that bike in like nine months. Um, <laughs> it, it was, you know, it was, I was 29. It was, you know, trying to do stupid stuff, stunts. And uh, I went to the canyons and then for whatever reason, it just, it clicked. You know, it was one of those things where, all right, this is what I'm good at. And then natural progression it took from the canyons to the racetrack, do some track days. And again, it was just one of those things that kind of fell into my lap. And I was decent at it. And so I started racing and I was racing before I joined Children Few. Um, and luckily when I joined the club, you know, I'm thinking it was going to be a hindrance because, you know, we have club runs and some of those fell on race weekends. But, you know, the club fully supported my racing. Uh, regardless of what it did to, you know, my run participation, um, they would, you know, go out of their way to show up to the races. And, you know, that meant a lot to me. It was good to have people that, you know, normally this, that's not their environment, but they came out anyway to, uh, you know, show their support. And yeah, it, it meant a lot to me and made me push harder. That's really cool, man. That's where my club started out in, in racing back in the 30s. So, you know, you get that bug, man. That's it. Done. Yeah, it was one of those things that, uh, you know, I didn't obviously I didn't see myself racing uh, motorcycles at all, much less, you know, three years after I first started riding. But um, it was <laughs> it, it literally fell into my lap. And it was one of those things that, you know, when you find something that you're good at, but you don't know you're good at and it just clicked and everything about racing just made sense. And uh, I had a pretty successful career, all things told. So what kind of racing were you doing? Uh, circuit road course racing. So uh, I had a, in the beginning, I had a 2012 R1. And then I uh, took a, a few years off when I got my Harley and did some, you know, solo riding around the country for a while. And then um, got into the Iron Butt Association, started doing those. And then uh, I went back to racing in 2018 with a, uh, a new bike, a 2017 R1. And, um, kind of picked up where I left off. So uh, it was good. It was, the competitiveness was what brought me back. You got a sponsor yet? If not, let's start asking for one right now. I'm sorry, what was that? You got a sponsor yet? If not, let's start asking for one right now. So uh, bringing up sponsors, uh, the good thing is that, you know, I have no problem uh, reaching out in that arena and asking, you know, companies to help out. And I was so lucky and blessed to have, a ton of big name companies uh, supporting me throughout racing. Um, and they, you know, even with the club lifestyle, they, they loved it. They loved the, the diversity that, you know, um, a club member brings to the uh, motorcycle racing world because it's not, it's none of them in, out there, you know, except for myself uh, that I can think of that were actually a part of a club and actually in racing as well. So, they love that aspect of it. And for me, I was just lucky to have that kind of support against these big name companies, you know, not to name drop too much, but you know, Pirelli was one of my biggest ones and hey, name drop. They, man. Tell us, tell us all about it. <laughs> Pirelli uh, was one of my first ones that jumped on in 2013 
when I was still doing track days and I stuck with them throughout my entire racing career. Uh, okay. They supported everything. Um, they loved the, the pictures with the club and uh, they like, just keep being yourself and keep being you. We love it. The social media, they loved it. Um, another company, Superbike Unlimited. I got with them when their shop opened in 2012 and I reached out to them in 2013 for sponsorship. And I'm like, you know, this is not going to happen. And they said, yeah. And I was the first motorcycle rider that they sponsored, uh, ever. And now they're constantly on the, uh, the national level at different bike teams and everything. And, um, it was cool to be, you know, a part of that growth in the beginning. That's nice. That's awesome, man. I love to hear that. I love to hear those, those, you know, stories like that. That's great. <laughs> That's the the cool thing about um, watching like your your progression through things because like, we started prospecting the same year. So you know, I've I've always known that you were into the racing thing. It's funny now, like when you see like some of the new guys come in, like anybody racing the club, and then every <laughs> pack man will just drop a a video and the thing, like holy shit, <laughs> that's like you fucking crazy. But uh, like what I think is crazy is um, the amount of like you you mentioned you do a lot of solo riding and then a lot of long trips and stuff like that. And I mean, we, me and you kind of ride in the same way where it's just like, I, I have no problem doing a couple thousand mile days back to back. Like that's how I prefer it. Um, it is not everybody's style of riding. Um, yeah. how many, uh, how many iron butt certificates do you have stacked up now? Uh, currently I'm sitting at eight iron butt awards and, uh, I have a second place with the tour of honor for Utah. I was the second person to finish that state. Um, and then they have some other, you know, auxiliary certificates for visiting different uh, memorials, like Statue of Liberty throughout the U.S. Um, I got one for visiting like 13 of those. Um, if you don't know, there's a bunch of mini Statue of Liberties all over the U.S. And one of the challenges uh, was to visit as many as you could and document them. So I got about 13 of those throughout the states. Um, and yeah, so hopping on a bike and going a couple thousand miles is not really a big deal. I actually love it. Um and I don't, I don't kind of, uh, I don't blast through, you know, you would be surprised how many miles you can cover while still enjoying the ride. You know, if I see something cool, I'm going to stop and take a picture, you know, have a drink of Gatorade and enjoy the sights and then keep back on pushing. Do they have a special certificate for stopping off at all the go-go bars? Because I could go. <laughs> I'm sure we can add that one in and put a request in. I'm in. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> so, uh. Recently, you uh, you took a trip over to Europe. Now, that's something um, that you do like annually, right? Uh, we do it every roughly every two and a half, three years. Uh, okay. Me and the family, my wife and son. Uh, she's from Germany, so we always fly into Germany first. And my tendency is generally to leave her in Germany and kind of <laughs> go do my own thing uh, in Europe. And uh, the last time. Uh, Prior to this one, I went to Italy and Amsterdam, Sweden, or not Sweden, uh, Switzerland, Austria, and kind of just went to go see the sites. This last trip, though, uh, was a little bit of planning. You know, I definitely had a goal uh, to go visit this other club, and I let them know back in October of last year that I was heading out that way. And, you know, I talked to the uh, one of their nomads, and he's my main guy I talked to for like the last few years. And so when I told him I was coming out that way, um, he basically just said, all right, well, I'll make some phone calls and we'll see what we can do. I'm really just trying to meet a few of the guys, have a couple beers and, you know, 
talk a little bit, and it blew up into something I couldn't have imagined. So, uh, that's pretty amazing, man. Like, so that's one of the things that we uh, we try to get perspective on a lot. I know uh, Drifter does a lot of uh, communication with some of like the European clubs. What uh, what do you what do you think? Like um, your initial impression of like just the differences between American culture and, and and European club culture. Well, from what I saw, I was uh, lucky enough to, again, when I thought I was going to, when I went over there, I thought it was going to be a few guys from the local chapter. And about a couple weeks before, you know, my flight, uh, I got a flyer in my, uh, in my messenger that basically said it was the, uh, the chosen few American party. And, uh, I inquired about it, you know, I asked them, you know, what was this about? And so, oh yeah, this is going to be a good party. And so when I get there, the, uh, the entire chosen few Europe organization, uh, you know, that countries in that Sweden, Belgium, Italy, France, and they have multiple chapters in all these areas. The entire organization was there and their families, their kids, their wives, their girlfriends. And it was much bigger than just me and a few guys it was uh it was me the entire club their entire support club network um and everybody just came to have a good time and kind of you know not to kind of be too into it but it was uh everybody wanted to come meet the chosen few americans and uh it was fun you know it was i took so many pictures that night um i generally don't take a whole lot of pictures with people just because you know you never know what social media these days but that weekend, that trip, I took as many pictures as I could, um, both from my own phone. Everybody else had their phones. They all wanted a picture. I obviously obliged everyone. Um, it was just the way they do things over there. You definitely feel, uh, the, the, when we, we use the word brotherhood a lot in this life and sometimes it ends up being watered down, but I'll say for the time that I was there, the brotherhood that I experienced both from the chosen few club and their support club, it was something completely different than what I'm used to out here. They're, they're very uh, in tune to each other and supportive of each other. And the way they govern themselves is very uh, organized. And it was it was a bit of a shock because, you know, when you're meeting a national president here in America, it's one guy, you know, you're, whatever club it is, is one guy. I met three national presidents when I was over there <laughs> and they're, you know, Sweden, Belgium, France. I met all these national presidents uh, of the same club. And it was it was uh, it was humbling to be amongst, you know, so many people that really love the club life and the amount of love and respect they have for my own club. You know, we share a name, but that's about it. But the amount of respect and, that they have for our club um, is what drew me out there. And when I got there, it was, I was definitely not disappointed. They, they knew a lot about our club, our history, our, 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 our history and our founder. And, you know, they were very eager to learn more, you know, as the night went on, we drank a lot more, you know, we just started talking and it was just a good, it was a good vibe from the first moment I met them. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not a big drinker. Um, you know, no shame. You can attest to that. I'm not really big, but I probably drink more in that one night than I did all of last year. These guys were having me drinking champagne and wine. We're in France, so I'm just like, okay. Oh, yeah, I was about to ask you. <laughs> let's do what the French do. And, uh, 
I was drinking my champagne and wine and enjoying it. Um, but overall, I mean, the, the vibe I got was a, it was very the brotherhood was really strong there. Well, that's right on, man. I'm glad to hear that. Have you did you get a chance to ride around Europe at all? Yes, I did. So that was one of the things I told him when I went out there. I wanted to get some miles in in Europe on ground, and they made sure that happened. Uh, day two, you know, we meet at the clubhouse. Uh, we have breakfast which consisted of more beer and some french fries. And <laughs> they bring out a, they asked me, you know, Harley a sport bike. I said, Harley, of course. So they bring out this old fat boy and give me someone's helmet, someone's jacket. And all right, you're going to ride up in the front next to the road captain. And we're going to go visit all the different chapter clubhouses. Sounds good. And that's what we did. You know, we just rode around, you know, northern france and visiting all the different chapters you know getting some education on you know how this chapter opened up and how they started what they contribute to the group as a whole you know they have a chapter that pretty much just works on bikes so if you need your bike done you bring it to that chapter um yeah just riding around france and visiting all the different chapters was uh that's that was on my bucket list for the weekend and uh, for my trip and you know we got those miles in and it was cold as hell but I, w- I wouldn't have had it any other way, you know, just to get some miles in with another group and uh, to ride around another country. It was memories that can't be, you know, uh, forgotten or faked or anything like that. That sounds like a blast, man. One of my uh, dream rides is to ride all along the Mediterranean to start in Spain and go all the way either to Rome or even down into Croatia and Greece. I think that would be just pretty, pretty freaking awesome. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, riding around France was, it was good. I, I definitely want to be able to, go out there and um just rent a bike and just ride all around because you know we think of distance differently here in america you know especially in you know on the west coast you know i can ride almost i can ride 10 hours plus and still be in california if i go north the guys you know? in texas are laughing at that right now okay i know <laughs> they can ride 20 hours and still be in texas yeah. uh but you ride you know an hour and a half two and a half hours in any direction you know based in Greece for I mean in Germany for example, which is always my home base, you ride an hour and a half, two and a half hours from Germany and you are in another country. And so the distance is really it's it makes everything more accessible. When you when we were at the clubhouse in uh in Lille, France, we were only about four hours ride from London, England, you know, if you're going under the tunnel. So that kind of puts it in perspective. You know, you ride for four hours here you're in, you know, Vegas, you know, almost to Phoenix. And here and in Europe, you're in you pass three other countries. So it's kind of uh it's eye opening how short how small the world can be when you actually start visiting some of these other areas. So here in the States I know if, if certain clubs got together like that and just rode all over, you know, four or five hours, there'd be a big police presence. Did you have any problems with anything like that? Not at all. Um the whole time I was there with these guys and they weren't, this party was not quiet. It was not secluded. It was in the middle of a city, um, not a big city, but it was still a city. Uh, not one police officer bothered us. I didn't see any <laughs> the whole time I was there. Um, and none of them bothered us. We just rode and just enjoyed the ride. And, and it was just, again, a huge difference from out here. You know, if you see a big group riding nine times out of 10, there's going to police be police nearby and we were just riding around with no uh no harassment no issues and that was also another you know a little bit of a culture shock i was expecting 
them to be at least waiting for us. But, you know, to be not messed with at that all was great. Nice. So uh, for those that don't know, we have, like like you said earlier, I mean, we share a name with this club and, and really that organizationally it's not connected. One thing that um, that I enjoy is that there's never been like an ego thing to where one's trying to, to overtake the other, you know, and it's, it's always been like a, a mutual respect and to where we can, uh, we can hang out and, and, and support each other, you know, in, in our own ways. Um, the organization that you are with is one of the chosen few organizations. Uh, there's like a different one in Europe as well, isn't there? Uh, there was a different one in Ireland, which mm-hmm. has been shut down, uh, as I think maybe five or six years ago. Um, Ireland was shut down, but, um, there's, I want to say if memory serves, I think four chosen few groups in the world, um, with chosen few, with my club, obviously being, uh, the bigger one and then chosen few Europe being the second biggest one. So, uh, the other one was in New York and, uh, there's a club in Iowa as well. Um, but they're a little bit smaller. So, but there's overall four. But we have the most, I have the most ties, uh, with the European guys. Um, again, because, you know, like-minded individuals kind of flock together. And after seeing their club, uh, on my, passing on my Facebook one day, I just decided to reach out and kind of get a little more perspective on how they came about. Um, they have a, uh, Confederate flag as part of their patch. And I was very curious about how they got that. And, I wanted to get the answer in person and not, you know, over social media. So that was one of the questions I had when I went out there. And uh, my assumption was that someone from America went out there, started the club. Um, but I got a completely different answer. And the answer that they gave, and I'm not giving anything away, you know, they'll tell you. Um, for them, the Confederate flag stands for, you know, the rebel flag, which is in the South. That's what they refer to it as. And they have a skull. So their patch basically means rebel to the death. And they fully acknowledge that the Confederate flag over here can be interpreted differently. Uh, but they interpret it their way. And I have nothing real respect for that. That's good to hear. So, uh, you have, you started planning for the next three years. Yeah. Uh, so the next trip is going to take me to, uh, one of the guys was there, uh, the Swedish, uh, national president, uh, he asked me the next time you come to Europe, come to Sweden and, you know, we'll do it the, the Nordic way. And so the next trip is going to oh. be, uh, London, England, uh, Ireland. And then again, I'm going to leave the family and I'm going to go to Scotland, uh, no- uh, Norway and Sweden and back to England. So I'm going to try and spend a few days and, uh, I want to go to Norway just to go. Um, cause it's on the way to Sweden. <laughs> and so, and then I'll go to Sweden and go hang out with those guys for a couple of days and then, you know, kind of just bounce around like I usually do. I always try and get at least three or four countries in, you know, while my, during my trip. Oh, right on, man. Scotland's going to be beautiful you know, in the summertime. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I I'm definitely there. not going in the wintertime. So <laughs> no. that's beautiful. There's a great <laughs> circular route in Scotland. That's, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, really good. Really cool club. The English trip has been on the radar for a while, and um, I definitely wanted to get my uh, the mainland Europe kind of out of the way. 
Um, so, you know, going to the islands is going to be a, a big deal. Um, definitely going to look forward to hopefully riding out there, um, trying to get some miles in whatever country I can get them in. So um, <clears throat> it's more of a pride thing for myself. You know, I love just racking up the miles and to have miles in other countries. You know, it's one of those things, you know, you can't you can't forget. You can't take away you know, that experience. And so, um, that's what I'm looking forward to the most. So you said you could, uh, you can ride from France to England and there's like a tunnel that you go through. Yeah. There's the, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's a tunnel. It's only about tunnel. The tunnel is maybe, uh, two and a half hours long and it goes under the English channel and it connects France and England. Uh, so how do they, how do they work the lane switch? Is there like just a part where it spirals and you go from the right side to the left side? So I, that, I, I'm assuming that part happens when you get out of the tunnel and when you get into mainland England. Um, I haven't been through it yet, so I don't know how the switch is over. But it's weird because I thought everyone in Europe drove on the wrong side of the road. But it's really only England. Everyone else drives on uh, the right side of the road. So they need to really kind of get their shit together. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry about the language. <laughs> No, you're good. Fuck that. <laughs> Say what you want. <laughs> well, I've, I've seen you ride a Dyna like it was your R1. So I feel like if you're going through that tunnel and you just ride along the side of it and just spiral <laughs> around, if you get that on video, I mean, I think that would be a stunt for the ages. I think if I get enough speed, I could probably do it. You know, if I <laughs> enough speed, enough liquid courage, I think I could probably do it. I don't, I don't know if you actually ride. I haven't been through it. I think you actually put your vehicle on a on a train, like a flatbed train, and then the train takes you. I don't know if they. I mean, I might be completely wrong, but I, I, yeah, I put it on train first. Yeah, again, I, because I haven't done it, I'm not sure how it exactly works. But um, I was when I was out there, I did think about it briefly. Uh, if I had enough time, could I actually go to London through the tunnel? And um, it was about I want to say about four hours away, um, and I just didn't have the time. Uh, because I'll still have other countries to visit, like uh, the Czech Republic and stuff like that. So I just didn't have the time to go visit. And that London well, traffic time. is, yeah, yeah, that London traffic is like LA. You're not gonna like. It. Yeah, but you know, it's I, if I'm gonna experience traffic anywhere, I mean, why not be in another country? I mean, again, right even sitting in traffic is gonna be fun. I don't. I'm not one of these guys that gets frustrated in traffic. I see. I usually sit um, before I had you know uh, stereo on my bike. I had my headphones. I just sit, listen to music, enjoy the sights, um, and enjoy the ride. I mean, it doesn't matter if I'm the only one on the highway for, you know, 100 miles or if I'm in the middle of traffic. I just sit and enjoy the ride. Hey, do you work on your race bike? Who tunes them? Yes. Uh, so I do about 90% of the wrenching on my race bikes. Uh, I do have a shop that did the engine work, and I have a sh- um, the electronics are handled by someone else, uh, Flash Tune. Um, out of Orange County, they handle the electronics on the bike. Um, but yeah, I do 90% of the wrench myself. Um, it's a point of pride. I like to know what's going on my bike, um, what it does, who provided it, what it's made out of. I want to, I use only the best parts. And so, um, I just do the wrench myself. There's always, again, it's a point of, uh, of pride and it helps keep my mind occupied, you know, to three in the morning. Working on the bike, getting it ready for the race in you know a couple of weeks. It's fun, you know. I don't. I never get bored of it. I, I work on bikes now. If someone has a bike and uh, they have you know problems with it, need maintenance done on it, bring it to the garage. 
I'll work on it for free. Just bring me, you know, a beverage or two. And we can sit back, have some conversation while I get your bike ready. That's the old way of doing it. I like that. I'm a student of history. So uh, I like to think that, you know, in whatever small way I can, I want to contribute to that history. Uh, I don't want to take away from it, you know. Um, and when I say that, I mean, you know, I, I have respect for, you know, all the clubs out there that, you know, kind of paved the way for everyone today, whether, you know, whatever club you're from, I'm not going to name any names, but whatever club you're from, whatever your makeup is, you know, I got to have respect, um, to those who've earned it. And, you know, regardless of your, the makeup of your club, if you put those years in and you contributed to the life and the culture, you know, I don't want to take anything away from that. So like you said, the old guys, you sit there in their yards and work on bikes and drink beer and, you know, have the kids running around, you know, I want to, you know, have that lifestyle. I like to continue that lifestyle. Again, for me, it's fun. It's, it, it's nothing better than for me to, you know, see a brother ride off on a bike that I just did maintenance on, or, you know, he's going on a, cross-country trip and he and his bike looked at before he goes is nothing more pleasurable for me than to see that brother or that person get on his bike and ride off that i just worked on um you know if i can keep somebody on ground i'll do it doesn't matter what club you're from doesn't matter anything if you want your bike worked on and you want it done by somebody that's good bring it to me <laughs> sounds like you were made for club life man that's right on <clears throat> you know that that is one of the uh the things that you know, when, when I look at my experience in clubs and, you know, I'm, I'm sure, uh, Drifter, I'm sure you can kind of probably relate to it more than most people, you know, being from such an old historic I'm old Nate, cause I'm old because yeah. your nation is old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that too. Um, but no, I mean, just, just having being part of organizations with such rich histories. Now, um, I almost look at like this, you know, I don't really want to call it an epidemic because I don't think it's new. I think it's something that's always kind of happened. Mm-hmm. Drifter, you there? Oh, you were frozen. Um, yeah, but you know, just the, these pop-up clubs that kind of come up and just spring up out of nowhere. I, I look at those situations and it's like, what? What's the what's the benefit of that? You know, to where there's so many, like you said, so many long-standing nations out there with so much history and so many people that can teach you like what's worked and what hasn't worked. Um, you know, versus like just going out and just starting like you, like, you know, everything. And like, like you, you have all the answers right off the top of your head. Like, I, I I just don't understand the appeal when there's so much wonderful history out there. Yeah. Me either. I mean, why would you, I mean, you take somebody, you know, like Pac-Man here, he he knew what he was looking for and he found exactly what he was looking for. Can you imagine trying to build what you already have? Take a lifetime. Yeah. I mean, you you, know, Shane kind of spoke to it, you know, the, some of these clubs have been around for, you know, ages and they know what works and what doesn't work. And, you know, like you said, I don't want to, you know, pick on the, the pop-up clubs too much because everyone does. But at the same time, there is something to be said for, you know, the club that just jumps up and thinks they know, you know, how a better way to run a club than someone that's been around for 30, 40, 50, 60 plus years. You know, you, you're, you're not going to reinvent the wheel. Um, in my experience, a lot of it has been, you know, as we all know, a lot of it is ego based. Um, a lot of people get the, uh, a lot of people get confused on what it means to be a man. I, I mean, and honestly, what it takes to be, what it means to be a man. 
And they think that if they're not the top dog of this club, then, you know, no one's going to really take them seriously or whatever. I have no idea what they're thinking, but it's all stupid. I mean, when <laughs> you got a club that's been around for 60 years and you just pop up with your 12 guys and some patch you found on, uh, some image you found on, you know, Google images, for me, you get no respect. Um, it's one of those things where, again, you're not reinventing the world. You're not teaching us anything new. If anything, you can sit back and learn from the other clubs. And, and again, there's clubs in my area and, 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 you know, SoCal that have been here for years. You know, not, you know, some of them as long as my club, some not so long, made up of different groups. But there's even times where I go to their events, I go to their parties. I, I intentionally seek out their, you know, the OGs, the what, you know, what we call OGs, the older members. I'll go to whatever nation we haven't had an annual their party and I find the OGs. And I talk to them and I get their experiences. And again, I'm never, I'm a student of history. I'm never above learning. And for me, it doesn't matter what that patch says. If you're willing to tell me some stuff that I can learn, I'm willing to take it in. And I think that a lot of people these days don't want to do the work and they just want to kind of get the credit. And that's where the pop-up club, you know, epidemic kind of comes from. You know, everyone wants to be the top and no one wants to learn and take the time to earn your, your position and your place in this world because this is a whole different world from, you know, civilian lifestyle. And I say that as someone ex-military, you know, it's different from the military. There's aspects that are similar, but it's different from that. And these pop-up clubs don't have that history or that, you know, that baseline to kind of grow from. When you, again, when you find your, your patch logo off of the internet, it's, what does it mean to you? Nothing. My patch, which was created, means something to me. You know, I'm drifting. I'm sure your patch means something to you and your brothers. And even outside of your own club, people know that patch and people respect that patch and what it had, the history behind it. These pop-up clubs, you have no history. So what can you really kind of contribute to the culture if you don't even know what you are? Uh, you get the same old buzzword, you know, oh, it's all about our brotherhood. And, you know, we, we do it different. No, no you don't. And you, then you get the people that are that bring up the, uh, well, we, we wanted to do it the traditional way. Well, how do you know what the traditional way is if, you, if you're not a part of something that is, in fact, traditional. Um, one of the things that you brought up um, and you, know, you spoke to it a couple of times is uh, people that are kind of like after a position or after, you know, a title and things like that. Um, and this kind of bleeds past like that pop up club thing and, and maybe into like like new members, things like that. Uh, when people first patch into a nation and, you know, your eyes might be big and you might be chasing that that title. Um, and I know me and you have talked about this before. You know, my my favorite times on my club journey have been times where I have not had a position. And unfortunately those have been few <laughs> moments, but those, those are cherished moments in my heart. Um, and you guys feel the same way about that or is, uh, am I alone on that? I like the job. Uh, <laughs> I like the job, but I don't want to have the responsibility. So, so right now I'm, I'm the secretary for my, my chapter and I, I like having things organized and, and kept a certain way. And I like the history you know, that we take down, but I don't want to be safe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, 
like I said, no shame and I have talked numerous times about this. Uh, I didn't come to this club looking for a position. I never wanted one. I really just wanted to kind of, you know, be a regular member, ride my bike, experience, you know, what it means to be a part of this kind of club, a traditional uh, old club um, with a lot of history behind it. I just wanted to be a sponge racking up miles. And that's what I wanted to do. The Unfortunately, fortunately, it sometimes happens that, you know, you don't, even if you don't go looking for a position, sometimes it finds you. And you're put in a position of, yeah, I don't want to do it, but I think I could contribute. And, you know, sometimes you kind of get pushed into an area where you kind of have to take it. And, you know, I I never wanted a patch. But at the same time, I do take pride in the positions I do carry. Um, And I try to do the job. Like you said, you love the job. I try to do the job to the best of my ability and without the patches, without the vest, I'm the same person wherever you find me at, you'll see. And I think that too many people kind of forget that part and they become the position and not the person. And I think that's where you start running the problems is when you forget who you were before you had that president patch or that vice president patch or that secretary patch. When you were, you know, Joe Schmo prospect and you were just hoping to get through and get patched in now you know you have a little bit of a a position of power and now you start kind of morphing your personality around that and i think that's where the problems come from you know and that's you know any nation has that problem i'm sure um you know again if there was somebody else that can do the job by all means take it please i don't want the headache um (laughs) but you know until then i'll do it that's uh, funny because I, I know Pac-Man's not a patch chaser because he called me at one point and said, hey, do you want to split responsibilities on this job? <laughs> like, I'm, tr- I'm trying to get another person added to this, this roster here. I'm like, like, man, you want to try and stack something else up on me? I need help, man. I can't, <laughs> can't be doing all this by myself. You know, coming to the West Coast is huge. I need help. <laughs> uh, it is. Uh, it, it's it's interesting to see, though, and, and one of the, the main things is, like, you brought up, like, both of you have brought up that uh, you enjoy the job, but the, not the responsibility. I think that's one of those things where people that enjoy their time in the military, I think enjoying that service is, is probably a big piece of that. And I, I know that's something that the club world brings to me, you know, specifically is that ability to serve something larger than myself. So for me, it's, it's with or without a title, I'm going to do the same amount of stuff. I'm going to try and do as much as I can to help the machine keep moving in the best way that it can possibly move. Um, I know for some people that gets misconstrued when people do that as like somebody's chasing a position versus, you know, they're just, uh, they're just being proactive and taking, you know, yeah, like you said, contributing. Um, and I think that goes to, you know, just always doing your best to assume the greatest out of your brother versus assuming the worst out of him. You know, um, does that, you know, you, you mentioned brotherhood being different in Europe. Is that something that you felt over there that people were kind of just building each other up? Whereas sometimes, you know, in, in this side of the pond, maybe you see it a little bit differently. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, the guys over there, you know, they, they have a uh, patches that they wear for, they get every five years, they get a new patch going up the, their zipper line, basically. Um, these guys don't care about position. Not once did I hear anybody, no one introduced themselves as their position. They introduced themselves with their name. And 
I I do that all the time. I, I don't. I never do the whole. Hey, I'm Pac-Man, Vice President, Children. I never do that. I just say Pac-Man. You know, I don't really care. And I found in Europe they were kind of the same way. They didn't really care. And my thing about it is, you know, uh, I've always said, you know, I really, even when I became vice president, I didn't want to put the patch on because of, you know, the added, uh, again, the responsibility that it carried. Um, do the job. Yeah, of course. You know, I, I'd like to help out my club any way I can. Um, but I didn't want to wear the patch. And the only reason I did, and I'm sure there are other people out there like this, the only reason I did is because I don't really like going to parties, but as the vice president, I get in for free. So <laughs> if, I don't want to pay to be somewhere I don't want to be. So I'll put the patch on um, <laughs> and I'll go to your party for free and hang out, patronize the bar and kind of keep it going. But um, So the truth comes out. Now we know. <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> If not for that, you know, hey, I'll go to your party, but it's one thing that, you know, I, I don't want to party. I, I'd rather ride and do, you know, the 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 random clubhouse pop-ups. I'll go to different clubs and I show up at their clubhouse and just, you know, have a chat with some of the older guys. Again, just talking to people. I would much rather do that or go on a ride than go to a party. That's just my personality. I'm not very... Um, outgoing in that respect. I'm a little bit more, you know, uh, kind of closed in when it comes to being in the party and being in front of everyone. I'm more background and, uh, I, I prefer that. So being a vice president kind of takes that away from me a little bit. Again, so it's, I'll do the job all day, um, with or without the position. And, uh, you know, I, those are the kind of guys that I look up to and that, you know, the guys that do the work regardless of position or not and they're just trying to make the club better trying to make their chapter better trying to improve improve relations with other clubs you know those are the guys that i kind of drift towards um and you know they're not hard to find every club has them every, just like every club has knuckleheads every club has those guys that are really just trying to make the life in the club better and those are who i drift to um no pun intended drifter uh but um, I was feeling a bond here. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's some people, you know, again, it, it comes down to ego a lot of times. And I'm not saying I'm some kind of ego-free person. I have an ego just like anyone else. You know, you ask me about racing, I'm going to tell you outright, I'll beat anyone out there. Um, That's not what but, said. You said you were trying to <laughs> But when it comes to the club, it's you have to humble yourself and understand that it doesn't make you less of a man to want to help or reach out to another club or, or talk out problems instead of any other way of solving them. Um, it doesn't make you anything less of a man. I think, I think if anything makes you more of a man that you're willing to talk to another man and solve a problem, if it can be solved over a beer in a conversation, let's do it. It's much better than the alternate. And, you know, what we've seen throughout the decades, we know what the alternate brings. It's, it's time we have some conversations. And uh, if I have to, you know, initiate the conversation, I'll do it. I have no problem reaching out. You know, if it's return, if the, the, the conversation has returned, great. You know, it's the better, we're all the better for it. So it's kind of my take. It's <laughs> a good one, huh? Thousand percent agree with that, man. It's, that's one thing, you know, I, I, if I could hope for you know everybody wants everything to stay the same you know that's a big theme in 
like the MC world is, you know, do things the old school way. If there is one thing that I wish that we would change is that people would pick up the phones before they started picking up freaking guns, picking up knives, picking whatever it is, you know, throwing fists, you know, throw me a text, you know, like there's, there's so many things that could be solved with simple conversations. And I know you're on the same mindset as that. Um, you know, there was a conversation I was having a few weeks ago um, with another individual. And, you know, he was saying, you know, regardless of anything that happens between club A and club B, you know, everybody deserves to go home, you know, and that's it. I kind of had to pause and think about that. Like sometimes they don't, you know, sometimes us individuals, you know, we're complete dickheads and we don't deserve to go home. But what does happen is their families deserve to have them come home. You know, everybody's wife deserves to have their, their husband come home. Everybody's son and daughter deserves to have their dad come home. And that's one of these things that, like, I think a lot of clubs and, you know, people like in the heat of the moment, they let their pride and their ego get to a point where it's like you're not thinking about the second and third order effects of these things. You know, you're not thinking about that kid that's got to grow up knowing that his dad was killed on the streets. Like, that's some heavy shit, man. And, and if you're going to do that over something minuscule, like, get the fuck out of here. You know, it's one thing to have a scrap with somebody and, you know, beat the fuck out of each other and then grab a beer afterwards. But when you start getting into like these permanent situations, it's ridiculous and there's no need for it. You know, it's especially when all of us are so similar, we have way more in common than we have apart. You, you actually well, hit the nail on the head right there. It's one of those things where, like you say, you know, every, every family deserves to, to have their person come back. And we always, we all, we've all said the same thing. We all know what we signed up when we joined these clubs. But at the end of the day, um, I also signed up, you know, to ride my bike with freedom, you know, and if I can't do that, then what are we doing here? If, if we can't, you know, enjoy the road and ride our motorcycles, you know, freely, you know, obviously there's going to be some issues that can't be resolved because we're 30 years into it. But when I'm, 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 I use the analogy a lot of when I'm in a, club house situation or a club environment and someone bumps into me and spills my drink i'm not gonna get mad i'm in an environment where that's a high likelihood it's gonna happen so hey the guy apologized no big deal man i'll give me another one you know nine times out of ten they'll replace it for you then some people will take that as an opportunity to hey man you bumped into me and now we have a big issue over a, a bump a nudge you know it's kind of one of those things that people need to they really need to take the ego out of it and stop thinking that being loud and being boisterous is going to make you respected or feared. It just doesn't work with most of us. I mean, <laughs> we've all, you mean, the loudest one in the room is the, is the softest, you know, and that's 99% true. Um, and like you said, I pick up the phone and have a conversation. These things do not need to be permanent. If we can solve it over a conversation, and go home, that's always the best option. That's always the first choice for me is to pick up that phone and call my contacts and let's solve it between us. And then we'll push it down. It doesn't need to go anywhere else. Drifter, you were going to say something? Oh, I forgot, man. I, I, was, <laughs> I was listening <laughs> Sorry to what about you said, that. and that's right on. I like that. Oh, well, I remember. Uh, so you were talking about you're all alike. You know, all these, all the, especially the big league clubs, like what you guys are, you're all alike, right? <laughs> To some degree. So it's really a matter of geography. If, if this guy had been born in, in such and such place, he would have gravitated towards these clubs. 
if he had been born in another place, it would have been the other club, but he's still the same guy. Yeah. You know? so I definitely understand what you're saying there. I mean, and you see it all the time. I mean, there, there's people who, you know, there's one guy born here and then his cousin down the line is born somewhere else. And they might end up just through that piece being in rival nations. So you think they're going to go to the family barbecue and just duke it out every time? That's ridiculous. Like, and, uh, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a perfect point that we are all victims of circumstance in that sense. You know, like I would likely not be chosen a few if my two brothers that I deployed with didn't first find chosen a few, you know, it's like, it's a victim of circumstance. I could be in any number of clubs. I could not be in a club at all. You know, the, the, it's just how my journey ended up unfolding. It's not like I was, I was born knowing like, I'm going to pledge my allegiance to this bone cross and I'm going to fight everybody who's not me. Like that's not how it happened. You know, it's, and it, there's so much good experience out there, especially when you get on the road. I think that is like the dividing factor between people with, with the mindset of like, let's, let's fucking enjoy the ride and let's, you know, let's get along as much as we can. How much, how many miles are you putting on your bike? How much of the country are you seeing? You know, how many different experiences are you getting to have? How many different clubs are you visiting? How many different areas to see how things are done differently? And I know everybody that's, that's a part of this conversation right now. We, we've had those experiences and, you know, it, it bleeds into even like inner chapter drama. You know, if you find a chapter in any club that's bickering amongst themselves, I guarantee you they don't ride together. I can guarantee you they do not get on their bikes and ride together. Thousand percent of the time. If you have two chapters in the same area of the same club that are butting heads, stick them in a pack together, send them on 700 mile trip. And watch them come back best fucking friends. Like the road solves everything. Especially if it's cold and wet. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And, and That's the good you stuff. Actually make a, you make a really good point there. Uh, that, you know, if you were out riding your bike and, and putting those miles in, you don't really have time to bicker over small things. You know, you're coming back talking about, Oh, we you know, remember what happened when we broke down over here. Remember when we got to this city or this state? Um, you know, I know I make it a point when I go on my rides, I'll reach out to other clubs that I know and say, hey, do you have anybody in this area that have a clubhouse? And I'll try and stop by and, you know, chop it up with them a little bit, have a couple conversations, have a drink. And then, you know, I hit back the road. But, you know, it's like you said, if, if you're focused on the the inner club or out or intra club rivalries and BS, you're missing the point. And, you know, like you said, stick them together and tell them to go to, you know, Oregon and they will come back best friends because they have shared experience, you know, and that shared experience is what's supposed to bond us all together as not just club members, but as motorcycle riders, you know, we, we got, most of us got on these bikes to enjoy the road. And the club life, I wasn't born into a club. Like I said, I didn't even know motorcycle clubs existed until the movie Biker Boys, which I thought was fake. Oh, no. So I thought it was fake. I didn't, again, growing up in LA and Long Beach, I don't know if I was just completely blind or ignorant. I didn't see any of that. And when I saw the movie, I thought it was fake. So when I first came around the club and I saw some of the clubs that were in the movie, I'm like, did y'all be this become a thing after the movie, and I was completely ignorant to the. Some of it did. Some, know, of, it some did. of it did, but seeing some of the clubs in there, you know, 
that uh that had a, a big presence you know you know soul brothers for example i saw them in the, in the movie i didn't know it was real and so when i saw those guys in person i was i'm thinking you guys came from a movie and they were like no no we were here before that and it's but it's cool to get that kind of you know experience but anyway to go back to what i was saying spending time on the road is where you really bond and some of the most fun i've had is sitting on the side of the road waiting for a tow truck somebody's bike blew up you know i was coming back from oakland which should have been a five-hour ride turned into 15 hours because an engine blew and we had so much fun at this gas station parking lot for almost 10 hours waiting for a truck in the middle of nowhere i still remember to this day very vividly it was so much fun and i was still a prospect at the time and to enjoy that time I, that was when I really knew I made the right decision um, as far as my club future. And, you know, that kind of sealed it. But, you know, it, like you said, if you go get some miles under your belt, you don't have time to argue. You don't have time to bicker. Just enjoy the sights, man. And there's a threshold, too. There's like a, there's this point where you're riding to get to the destination. And, you know, you could throw your playlist on and zone out in the playlist and you can get there. And And then there's that point in time where it's like i am so tired of listening to the music that i really enjoyed 10 hours ago and i just and you want to just zone everything out you turn the music off and you kind of just start going through stuff in your own head and it's almost therapeutic like you start unpacking things that like you might not normally be able to get unless you like took a heroic dose of dmt or something you know so there's that piece of of writing that just brings clarity to everything you know and that's the thing about putting a lot of miles on that I really enjoy is that clarity that you feel afterwards. That's where a lot of the stories that I write come from. Uh, on those long rides, my mind just starts wondering, and I create these stories. I, I actually have a, um, I have a, uh, a, a mental issue um, that you know I, I'm working out, but one of the things that helps with that is writing. And again, I may have a destination. My destination could be just a state. I don't really know where in that state I'm going to go. Um, I don't necessarily know how I'm going to get there. I just kind of go. And like you said, sometimes I turn the music off. And I remember riding through Nebraska. I'm just riding through fields. And it's sunset. There's no one on the road for like the last 30 miles. I'm cruising, you know. And I got so distracted by just the ride. <laughs> I completely ignored the deer that was like 20 feet ahead of me and he just bounced across the hot the road and immediately snapped me back to kind of focus. I'm like, Oh, I'm got to remember I'm on a motorcycle here. Let me pay attention to where I'm going. But you know, it's one of those things that, you know, it, it going out there, it just really does seem to clear the mind. And you really, like you said, you get to that point where I'm riding to a destination, but I do want to zone everything out. I do want to turn my music off. I do want to just hear the engine. I want to hear the exhaust. I want to hear the waves if I'm on a coast. I want to hear where I am. I want to be in the moment. And if you haven't experienced it, it's hard to explain to those that haven't. But those that have know what I'm talking about. And they know that point of where, you know, it doesn't matter when you get there, how you get there, what you're going to do when you get there. It's just the fact that you're just riding, just riding the ride. And when you get to that point, I think it really does bring a sense of clarity. Yeah, you're in the scene. You're not watching the scene go by. Yeah, you're in, you're you're making the memories and things. And these are things that you're going to be able to tell. You know, 
everyone's going to ask you later on anyway because you're going to see whatever. And you're going to be able to tell them, but it's the, I always say when people ask me, how was the trip? And I tell them how the trip was, and I'm like, you want to go on the next one? You know, so you can kind of experience it with me. Um, and I try and, you know, I I can ride, you know, they said 2,000 miles, whatever. We can do that. Or we can just go 500 miles. It doesn't really make a big difference to me. We'll ride at your comfort level, and we'll have a blast doing it. Yeah. Okay, yeah, man. Well, shit, we're about an hour. I think that's a pretty good spot to end it, you know. Giving it what uh what all of us love and why what brought all of us together and that's riding riding the bikes. But uh fuck man, I, I appreciate you coming on the show. Appreciate you sharing your experiences with me. Uh and with all of us, you know. Um look forward to hopefully you writing some more articles pretty soon. Cause we had a guest article from you a while back under a, a name we shall not reveal unless you <laughs> unless you want us to. But uh yeah, man, I, I love the conversations. You know, you and I have always kind of seen eye to eye on things, so Hopefully we'll have you on again sometime sometime in the future. I actually have a, a guest submission uh, almost ready for you. I'll send oh, it up to you. Right on. Nice. It was getting. Uh, it was nice to talk to you and see your perspective, man. That's. I, I really yes, like. Yes, sir. That. Same here. Habit not going to break it. Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, shit! I appreciate everybody tuning in and listening to us. Um, this episode should be up in a couple of days. Look forward to uh, seeing a lot more content. Uh, Drifter, you're. Uh, you're going to be going down to meet uh, a couple of the miscreants from staff pretty soon here, aren't you? Yeah, I'm calling it the Jack Teller Memorial Run. So, <laughs> give him a good send off. So, yeah, hopefully, you guys get to see uh, the adventures of, of Drifter, Punk Rock, and then Dave here pretty soon. Um, but until then, appreciate you guys, and y'all take it easy.